0: Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time, this is For What It's Earth. Hi all and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa Jacobs of The Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco warriors can all discover and explore so many facets of the environment that we all love, as well as some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. And during season four, you guys have probably heard that I am combining the things that I love the most the art aspects and the natural world. So, you're going to hear from a wide variety of artists across all manners of mediums from all over the United States who are all trying to make the world a better place through their craft. So this week, I am joined by Kaylin Jade, whose work focuses on the flora and fauna of her home in Iowa, which is very far away from my home in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, But I found her on Instagram. That's how I, I kind of connected. And she has all manners of these incredible wildlife and plant paintings. And I love the fact that they're also colorful. If you've been listening, you probably know that I love color. <laughs> and so, Kaylee, can you talk about how you got into painting specifically as an artistic medium?
1: Yeah, um, so I grew up in a small rural town, and I, you know, I had art classes in school, but um I didn't have, a whole lot of access to painting. I had some acrylics and stuff later on as I grew, uh, but I was always drawing. So um, drawing was kind of the first passion that I had and I really loved depicting realism. I'm a very detail-oriented person. And so um, painting lends itself, at least for me, a little better to that that depth and um, the access to color. So. Uh, I remember I, I went to, um, a local kind of a a local gallery, um, on one of my birthdays when I was young and I saw, uh, John Singer Sargent painting in person. And that's when I was like, oh, yes, like this is what I want, you know? So um, I pursued painting in my undergrad. I have a BFA in painting, um, from the university of Northern Iowa. And that's, uh, when I started, Trying out some different mediums and um, really develop my love for painting.
0: That's so cool. Um, so it sounded like very from a very young age, you you knew this was what you what you enjoyed at least. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. And then, so aside from the painting aspect, um, many of your your subjects are obviously hence you, and I connecting uh, are more of the natural the flora and the fauna, Um, but do you delve into other kind of subjects or is
1: flora and fauna like your thing? Yeah, so I would say the natural world is my main inspiration, Um, but I think that's maybe more more open-ended than what you might initially think of um mm-hmm. nature humans yeah. are nature like landscapes are nature uh I feel like you know design color patterns are all coming from nature and our mm-hmm. perception of the life that we you know experience and live on this planet so um I think that's the foundation of what I'm interested in <laughs> life you know that's yeah it's very vague <laughs> but yeah um so I kind of have like two, what feels like to me, as two sort of channels of work. And I really like my biggest passion is painting, like I kind of mm-hmm. already talked about, but um, realistic paintings and bigger paintings take me um, a longer time uh, to make. And I also like to make them sort of poetic and a little bit more um, multi-layered. So that type of work that you know is maybe more for a gallery show or whatever uh just takes more of my time so I'm slower at putting those out um and then my other work is more illustrational it's a little faster it has some digital drawing um implemented into it as well and um that's where I'm just being a big nerd (laughs) like finding all the species in my area and going home and researching about them and then sharing and um Uh, really paying close attention to Mm -hmm. them accurately. Um, I just, I really love doing that. I think the two kind of methods of my work speak to each other. I feel like I'm kind of like going on a scavenger hunt and finding all the puzzle pieces to make bigger paintings. And
0: yeah. Yeah, That's super cool. So when you say uh, the bigger pieces that take a longer time have a more poetic feel, what what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. I guess guess they might not always be bigger. I'm just going to grab this. Okay.
0: So just as a reference for those listening, I do have on the Patreon feed, the video version. So Kaylin is currently showing one of her pieces. So this is a great, great route to see it. It's super cool.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm not sure how well this camera picks it up, but this painting is know it's not actually very big but it's just um, it takes me more time because of the layering process of painting okay and um the realism and i what i mean by more like poetic i guess or it's not just like a depiction of a portrait of me like there's more there's more going on um and more that i was thinking about internally when
0: i made it so okay so it's kind of uh, reflective
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. cool. Very cool. That's definitely something that I do more of the scientific illustration. Um, I find, at least when I teach the scientific illustration courses, I get a lot more people coming from a scientific background rather than an artistic background. And I, I think that that definitely speaks for itself. It's much less reflective and abstract concepts. It's much more, I guess, art for the scientists, art for the left brain of like, this is how things are portrayed and there's way less uh, internalization of it. So that's really cool that you're able to kind of combine them and have both of those aspects. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome. So going going with that you've got your, your self portrait there which i absolutely love she has like a hoodie up all like scrunched around her face and to me it just speaks of the coziness of uh of getting to know your your environment that whole place based idea of uh of that but do you have a favorite plant or animal or subject to draw Oh my
1: gosh, this is such a loaded question. I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I've been thinking about it. I think that I have, I have a hard time narrowing down like very specific favorites, Um, but I do kind of have some generalizations that I'll I'll talk about. Uh, I really like spring ephemeral flowers. Those are probably my favorite plants. Okay. Um, Spring plants, the plants that come up and soak up all the first rays of sunshine before the canopy fills things in. I think they're just so beautiful and special because they're short lived and yeah. um, they're something that I look forward to every year. And I also just visually think that they're stunning, like the way they um, cover the forest floor. Uh, I'm just yes. so excited to see those every year. Um, so, those are probably my favorite plants. I like things that are weird and otherworldly looking. So, I do. Like like the Dutchman's breeches. Like, yeah, they look
0: like the weird pants. little like pants. Or I always think they look like molars.
1: Yes, like, they do. <laughs> yeah, they look weird. Too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and like pitcher plants, I like those too. Super awesome. cool. Um, praying mantises. Uh, just you know the things that are like kind of unexpected and right. really. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is about them, but just upon seeing them immediately, I feel like inspired and my imagination is just kind of running rampant. Um, and as far as wildlife, <laughs> I tend to have um, a soft spot for the small, cute animals that are also really spicy. Like, uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I love this description, What yeah. <laughs> I like saw-wet owls because they're so cute and tiny, but, you know, they're carnivorous, and they're Mm -hmm. hunters, and I also really like weasels and, like, the small mink mustelids, and uh, especially least weasels because... um, how small they are, but how efficient they are at their hunting. Yeah. It's just kind of unexpected because they look so cuddly and there's... Yeah,
0: they're all like, I'm this cute little fuzzy thing that you know, the whole uh if not friend, wife, friend shaped sort of internet yes. meme. Exactly. Uh and then they're out here being really efficient predators. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. I love them. Oh, that's so cute. I I get it. That that's a great description though of the the uh, small cute things that are spicy yes i definitely. love it that's awesome i know we have saw what owls here in pennsylvania but they're very very elusive and really rare i went to try to do a saw wet owl banding program once at like 1 a.m <laughs> and we didn't get any saw wet owls so that was a big disappointment but do you have are they more common in iowa
1: No, it's kind of the same thing here. I think from what I understand, it's mostly just that they are so good at hiding. So I saw the first one I've ever seen in person just a couple weeks ago, and it was so exciting. And it really was like um, my friend and boss who's a naturalist who was with me. She was like, okay, now I'm going to let you find it. It's in this area. And I was like, "Okay." I would not have seen it had she not pointed out. Like you could see the droppings, like where it's yeah. at, and then you look up, and they're just and they're always kind of like low, but they're so quiet they, they just they would never move. They have both that like predator and prey at the same time, where they freeze and they yeah. don't fly away. So um, once I saw them, then it was uh, obvious. But yeah, right. they're they're a little more rare, and I knew that they were in that area, so I'd been looking every year. Okay. um so yeah it's really exciting that is really <laughs> I'm exciting
0: I'm so jealous I have only ever seen screech owls and great horned owls like out in the wild but I yeah. know we have more in this area but they're just oh they're so hard to find but that would be such a cool experience so I'm, I'm jealous yeah. that you got to see one yeah for sure oh, usually cool. I
1: just see barred owls so that's our biggest. okay yeah
0: okay super cool i know we have barred owls but that's much more western pennsylvania which is is way out there but that that's super cool so i also know that um i have grandparents who live in illinois uh, very farm uh farmer type people so when i will go out to illinois um The ecosystem changes very drastically as compared to here in Pennsylvania. We have all these hills, these mountain regions, really deep forests, as well as areas that have been turned to agricultural areas. But even those ag areas are still very hilly. Um, And then as you go further towards the Midwest, it becomes really flat. And one of the ways that I described to my husband, who has never been out to the farm, was if you let a dog run wild, you would not worry about it getting lost because you would see it in four towns over. It's just that flat and open. Um, And and he called it the exotic Midwest. And I know that, because to us, it's just such a foreign concept of being that flat and that open. Mm-hmm. And not that you live in Illinois, but I know we're starting to get out towards that area, uh, bordering Illinois. So you've shared some really, really stunning prairie scenes um, mm-hmm. and more about the the meadow aspect of Iowa. And it's really cool from someone who's in a very different ecosystem to see those mm-hmm. those little moments that you share. So can you talk a little bit about kind of what makes Iowa Habitat so special to you?
1: Yeah. Um, well, Iowa to me is home. So right. it's it's been, you know, my family's home for generations. They barely moved around. Um, so Iowa is what I know. And I have, you know, I've, I've gone on a lot of uh, trips. Um, my parents really... Um, when I was younger, they had a focus kind of on uh, going to the national parks. Oh. So, I have seen some of these very scenic landscapes. so i I know um what people are kind of meaning when when they say that I was boring or oh. you know, I, I understand <laughs> i can I can conceptualize. I understand, I can see what right. where they're coming from. Um, but as a person who has grown up here, you know, I might not get the scenic mountains and the rolling hills, but there is something very magical in its own right about that flat, open landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on the edge of a cornfield, <laughs> so um, there were times of the year where uh, the ground, you know, like the corn hadn't had the chance to grow up yet; it's all loud mm-hmm. and. Uh, I would just go out there and watch the sunset or a storm front roll in. And I've, I've heard some other people kind of describe this before, but there's just this feeling of like the expanse Mm and being being in that like expansive environment that uh, to me is comforting. um, But it's, it's a different type of feeling. Um, So there's that. And I think that on a large scale, you know, there is some beauty in that and our, our sunsets and, you know, our thunderstorms and tornadoes. (laughs) Um, uh, but I definitely, I had gone camping a lot. Um, and my, I have fishers, trappers, hunters in my family. So, um, I've spent a lot of time outdoors throughout my life. Mm Um, and I, am that detail-oriented type of person, so I do really like those microcosms and and those, like, sort of terrarium-like moments, um, where, you know, maybe the flora and fauna are a bit more isolated to different areas here because of the fragmentation of agriculture, and Mm -hmm. so there's a lot more, um, little moments going on, and, uh, I think about if those two were combined in in my in my brain <laughs> like if if I could have experienced that expanse but as the prairie not as a cloud field right all of the colors all of the di- the biodiversity all of the insect life and the birds and the um it's just I can imagine how overwhelmingly beautiful that would be and I have found some writing about it from early You know colonizers Mm -hmm. talking about um crying because of how beautiful it was and uh that just that part is just really tragic to think about um and i think about it a lot when i'm driving down the highway and looking out and there are different um there are different kind of uh ecosystems in iowa you know depending on the landscape there's like the driftless region which you might have heard of that's like wisconsin uh okay. illinois area it's it's along the mississippi so there's like where the where the glaciers kind of flatten things out and then where they deposited stuff and i'm, okay. I'm not, you know i i only know what i've like google searched right <laughs> <laughs> but um but i've seen some of these places too and there's uh, i grew up near a park that um it's called the Ledges and uh it has a lot of like limestone bluffs and caves and Ooh. um and a creek that runs through it. There's there's really I guess again I could talk about this forever, but there's really some beautiful moments that um if you're just in town in an urban area mm-hmm. and you're going from the urban area onto the highway, crossing the farms, you're just not gonna see it. So right. yeah. I just I wanna elevate those places. Um, and uh, make sure that we care about them because yeah. they're they're going away and it's a problem.
0: Yeah, um, definitely. As again, I I have not necessarily seen a a true prairie habitat as much yeah. as like when I go out to the Midwest, it is much more farm, yep. just this agricultural expanse. Um, which going with the expanse, I I totally understand what you're saying. My mom when she moved to Pennsylvania from Illinois, she found it very claustrophobic uh, because she couldn't see the sky anymore because it was trees everywhere, which has a different beauty, but definitely I I understand because she's described it to me of this feeling of that expanse, the sky, there's a lot of freedom that comes, uh, feelings of that freedom with that. Um, But as as you're saying with the also The different sorts of habitats and how it's this grand prairie expanse that you can imagine of all what the flowers would look like, the birds, things like that. I've studied those areas, not that I've actually been there, because these prairie systems are so important to the functioning of this entire continent pretty much. And we're losing them super, super fast, Um, which is really heartbreaking. And also, just this crazy concept to me of it was this huge expanse. How do we lose that much habitat? And so it's really cool to me seeing your work, raising awareness about those habitats and those ecosystems. Um, But it is kind of a crazy concept to be like, wow, what has happened?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's just something that a lot of people even living here don't know about. Um, Oh, wow. You know, you you take it for granted, and and then you kind of accept. Like, I mean, there was a point in my life that I went on the I traveled, and then I came home, and I was like, oh, it is kind of boring, I guess overall. And I didn't know I didn't know that at the time, so much had been changed and lost. It's just something you you know you you don't even really consider when it's so much a part of your daily life. so yeah, uh, there's there's a lot. And the more I learn, like the more I find, the more species I've like found and learned about. And yeah. it almost feels never ending. It's just really- Oh, cool. that's cool. Yeah. I mean,
0: cool that you're finding all these amazing species.
1: <laughs> Not cool that yeah. they're dying. Right, well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um,
0: But I guess that kind of ties in with a question I have. I know here in Pennsylvania, Um, A lot of our forest ecosystems have been completely disrupted. Uh, You mentioned the spring ephemerals. We have some really gorgeous ones here. It sounds like there are some similar types of the Dutchman's breeches, bloodroot. Um, We have all manner of really beautiful flowers um, that I think is funny. A lot of them do look kind of weird, like trillium we have here. That's just these three triangular petals kind of just poking up out of nowhere. And the the blood root with its one giant leaf, and they do look a little funky, Um, but we're losing, at least here, a lot of our spring ephemerals due to an increase of invasive species. So we have um, lesser celandine is one really common one here. That's this tiny, absolutely gorgeous, yellow little flower. It's in the um, ranunculus family. So it's this glossy, shiny petal. the one that you can pick and like hold it up and see if you're, if you like butter based on if it shines yellow on you, which is just how light works. So of course everyone likes butter, Um, but you can pick them. They grow usually in moist areas. So right along riverbeds or streams or water, uh, watersheds. And they grow by these little tubers and all of the tubers, they look like mini potatoes and they choke out all of the spring ephemerals. So, we don't have our spring beauties anymore we don't have our may apples or the bloodroot the trillium virginia bluebells things like that here um because it's this carpet of yellow which can be really beautiful but it's like oh there's supposed to be more than just one flower here and now the pollinators aren't getting what they need right um so that's here in Pennsylvania, but do you have a lot of invasive species that you notice in Iowa impacting your
1: habitats? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess I don't know all of them. I've, mm-hmm. I've found more and learned more. Um, we have honeysuckle, like an invasive oh, Okay. Species. I know that one. Um, there's like stories of like my partner when he was younger, they went out and they would uh, chop them down as Boy Scouts <laughs> uh, and stuff. that and it's kind of a it's also like affects um earlier plants because mm-hmm. it leaves out really quickly. Right. Uh, but it's not like a it's it's like a bigger like bush like brushier type of plant. So it leaves out quickly and then it puts all of the other like plants in shade before they have a chance to take up the sunlight and grow. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a problem. And they also spread really quickly uh, because they have berries that the birds find really delicious. And then the birds, well, you know, the rest, they (laughs) spread them everywhere. So yeah. yeah, So that one, as far as plants, I've heard that one a lot being called a problem. And Mm -hmm. then uh, insects, I, there's a lot of like of insect problems and I started researching the um Japanese beetle that was the first one that I looked into personally okay um because there was our state flower is the wild rose um oh cool and I had never seen it before one day I was out in the prairie um, and I saw a patch of them, and I just fell in love. Like, I was so excited to find them. They're this beautiful, um, soft pink color, mm-hmm. and petals are, like, really delicate, um, so they don't last a super long time, uh, but I was taking a lot of pictures of them because I was wanting to get um, references for paintings, mm-hmm. and so I was going out, like, multiple times uh, throughout the week, and I um, it was halfway through the week. I came back and they were just like undulating with like clusters of these oh. beetles. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and it was like gross and visceral, but like beautiful because they were so iridescent. They were, like, yeah, they're really and shiny. Plants, and they were crawling all over each other and just decimating the plants. And I was like absolutely smitten by this moment because I was devastated and like shocked and it was horrific <laughs> like all in one I'm a very sensitive person <laughs> oh. <laughs> like how dare you so I I went home yeah. and I looked it up and was like well that's just awful like how do we fix that and um then I started painting about them and I had a professor that was like why would you be painting about bugs like who cares and so then I blew them up to like human size because I was like people should care about that yes. um, <laughs> So that was my whole like series about Japanese beetles. Um so those are a problem. They just like devour so much they really yeah. do. And uh there's also some other insects like, you know, Asian lady beetles and mm-hmm. stuff that has like come from crops and agriculture like um like the cabbage white butterfly Ugh. uh that you know just spreads like crazy. And then, you know, maybe it's like pesticides that they try to get rid of and then that's problematic for other reasons or they bring right. in another insect to try to take care of that insect yeah we, there's just rabbit holes abound of like all this all this stuff so yeah yes I'm um, um,
0: sad as well as kind of encouraged that Pennsylvania is not the only one dealing with some of these issues because it seems like yeah this is just all Pennsylvania is anymore, is invasive species. And it is crazy how there would be one species that they're like, oh, shoot, this is here now. So we'll bring in this thing to take care of it. And that's an invasive species, too. And so it is this crazy rabbit hole, um, which I'm sad that it is prevalent throughout a lot of the United States. But
1: we're
0: all in this together sort of of vibes, too. Yes. Um, But yeah, it is. It is crazy. But it's also really cool, though, that you can use your art of like you did a series on Japanese beetles to kind of raise awareness. Like this little sad and I scowl at the person who says, why are you
1: painting bags? Ah. (laughs) You didn't mean any harm by it, but I'm glad you said it because then I did make them like life like human size huge (laughs) yeah
0: but that is really cool though uh because it shows a a need for it yeah yeah which um I I find just wonderful that art can address this sort of communication of hey here's a problem that apparently people don't know is a problem or a an issue and let's spark some conversations. Let's start talking about this Japanese beetle or whatever the issue is, um, social justice. I mean, there's so many things that art can can speak to. So going along that kind of aspect of using art to communicate, mm-hmm. um, no one of the things that I do a lot with my own art is kind of creating interpretive signage or little interactive visual components for nature centers or educational sites. Um, have you Have you ever had a chance to create art to kind of enhance some sort of public experience?
1: Yeah. Um, this is something that I want to do more of. It just makes my heart sing it's like, it feels like um such a humbling opportunity to be able to use my skill set to elevate these things um, that I'm so passionate about um Mm -hmm. so yes I have I last summer uh there was a project that my supervisor and I put together um for the community, which uh, was a butterfly hunt. And so we used my butterfly illustrations as a field guide um, for families to take with them on like a little scavenger hunt. Uh, There were little, uh, we made ceramic butterflies that were painted and hung up around a prairie. Oh, Um, that's so cool. Yeah, so they took my illustrations around with them and I illustrated a little map of the Mm -hmm. area. It's like a local prairie. Um, and then once they had identified all of the butterflies and found them, they could paint their own butterfly to take home. So, oh, wow. It, was, it like encouraged them to visit their local art center and um, make ceramics and, uh, you know, go to classes, but it also taught them something about, um, you know, their local park and the butterflies they could see there. I tried to pick more common ones that they might find. Uh, so that was just really awesome I got to be there the day that it like opened and we Mm -hmm. had like a free kind of event for everybody to come and so there were uh, a lot of kids and like families going around and like they were just so excited and it was just a beautiful day it was super sunny and a lot of flowering plants uh, at the time and it was just really great it was good I I loved that Um, I've also illustrated some species for biologists to com- commemorate their um, their dissertation projects. Oh, that's so cool! Wow. Yeah, uh, which I loved that because they had did some really amazing things, and um, I think it. I think that I mean you were already talking about it. That kind of thing can go unnoticed, but then like the artwork can elevate it to the masses kind of, in a, right. in a way that I feel like is immediate for, um, for people outside of that situation. Uh, they see, Oh, like what a cool lizard and right. like someone spent a lot of time on this and then the stories along with it and they can figure out, you know, learn more about it from there. Um, so that's really cool. I'd love to do more of those. Finally, I, uh, I'm in the process right now. The contract is um, getting put together, but uh, I will be illustrating um, a mural at the local nature center. Oh, uh, cool. It's outdoors. Uh, it's like in a seating area. So kind of like a little, like a seating amphitheater kind of area where the kids will uh, sit and listen to the naturalist give their speech about um, birds. Uh, local birds in the area and their nesting types so then all of my illustrations will be like in that area with like the bird the type of nest and then a description of the bird so
0: oh that is super cool
1: yeah I'm very excited about that like and that sounds like a much
0: a a mural an outdoor mural is a much bigger project right Mm -hmm. yeah it'll be
1: like 37 feet so (laughs) 37 feet Oh, wow. <laughs> that is wow. huge. Yeah, I, it is an undertaking. It, so yeah, I'm really excited though. That is, yeah, that definitely
0: sounds like a cool opportunity um, that not a lot of people might get the chance to to do. I've never done an outdoor mural. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. It works out really well too because it's, it's not uh, hand-painted. Um, that would take me it would just be so complicated to have to do that on site so they're digital illustrations that would be printed on aluminum panel
0: oh okay so at least in my head based on my limited understanding of how outdoor murals are put together I've always seen people like with their huge buckets of paint up on like a scaffolding right painting so in my head that's immediately what I thought of so an aluminum panel so it's more like something that would get kind of hung or drilled into the wall or how
1: um, how? mounted like drilled in yep oh wow yeah
0: but I can see with aluminum paneling then that could be a little more uh weather resistant than too instead of like the paint peeling off which would help the center out
1: exactly for years and
0: years Oh, yeah. that is super cool.
1: Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I would really love to do more work like that. I'm starting to kind of look into like natural science illustration uh in that field. It's just um, Yeah. So,
0: that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Well, I I look forward to seeing kind of your progress on on instagram not that i'm out in iowa to see it myself so if anyone is listening in iowa go see it for me yeah it sure. gets put up
1: <laughs> hartman nature center
0: okay definitely and i'll put the link uh to that that venue in the podcast description so people can kind of follow along and if you're in the area now you can get the the yeah, address for it go visit it when that gets installed because i'm jealous and i want to see that too <laughs> Um, So I guess then going along with all of the various kind of outlets that you've had for your more creative side of the murals or doing that super cool butterfly scavenger hunt, I want to go on that too. And that is such a really great, great way to kind of combine learning styles of saying, hey, we're going to learn about your prairie and take a walk through it, connect with nature, but then also to get the chance to learn more about the art side of let's go do the pottery aspect of it. That, that's such a cool combination. Yeah. Um, so do you then um, do art that kind of just focuses on, here, let me teach people about the artistic side of things, um, like little
1: painting courses or drawing courses, things like that? Yeah, so I um, I do. I do a bit of both um just you know uh technique or like beginner intro mm-hmm. level painting and then also i've done some like more nature inspired like art workshops oh cool so, yeah i have i've taught you know people that have never painted before at all that's that's more of like the you know material based like right. um, teaching and then uh the other things i've done is i've done um I've done a workshop for Iowa artists that was nature-based about like my artwork and and my practice and how I kind of um select what I make and uh my choices on color and stuff Mm -hmm. um and then talked about species and Iowa wildlife and then I've also done some like plein air classes outside and did some like nature journaling type of sketching and stuff so yeah that is of, really cool yeah kind of both at the local art centers yeah
0: that is I and I mean I know I'm biased but that to me just seems like such a really great way to kind of I guess for lack of a better word kill two birds with one stone of like connecting people outside but also saying hey art is important having this creative outlet so combining it is just such a such a great idea so that's, yeah, that's awesome.
1: I think it's important, and it gets people to slow down. Yes, like notice um, what they see outside and take some time in nature where they're, they're away from their phone and they're like,
0: yeah, connecting
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: I I definitely agree with that. I have had a bunch of people talk to me about the importance of using, especially nature journaling, as something that forces them to sit in a quiet place and slow down a mm-hmm. bit, as well as it, it seems to teach people how to observe as well, which seems like a, a lost or forgotten skill of how to look at an object and not just say, cool, here's the object as a whole, Yeah. but whenever I teach it, people seem to be so baffled by when they create their sketches like one of the first steps they wanna just draw it right away. And I'm like, no, we gotta break it into its little little compartments, its little pieces. People seem to have a hard time observing how the petals connect to um, the reproductive structures and how that connects to the stem and how the stem connects to the plant as a whole. And so it definitely seems to be a cool way to make people see.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. We're so accustomed to immediacy. So like, yeah, you kind of have to break it down and work backwards a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess that in and of itself of working backwards can be an interesting skill to learn as well. So out of your art as a whole, if you were to say, this is what I want people to get away, whether they're seeing your art in person at the nature center when it gets installed or they're going to one of your classes or following you on social media, what kind of do you want people to take away from your work?
1: Yeah. Um. I seek to elevate the beauty of what we do have. Mm-hmm. And so through doing that, I I just want people to experience, like, a connection and a curiosity uh, about the natural world um, through the work that I make. I hope that I um, can communicate, like, the desire for connection mm-hmm. to people. Um, and uh, like really show um, how much value this has. I think that, you know, beauty is, you know, more or less a universal experience um, uh, as far as visuals. And Mm -hmm. so um, I just want to inspire people, I guess, to, to get outside and to be curious about their surroundings, especially in their own like local places.
0: Right, that's awesome. I I think a lot of people forget the local aspects, and we're like, oh, um, I mean, I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. My favorite animal is the giraffe. So yeah. these exotic species that are like so foreign to us that are like, wow, this is incredible, um, and we forget the the importance of the little like here we have the little sweat bees with their beautiful iridescent little butts that just are the things that bother us out in the summer but like when you really look at them it's like wow you're beautiful as well yeah and and we take those little things for
1: granted definitely
0: yes cool so then going along with that of getting people to connect and to see on the local landscape um and I know that this is just along with the what's your favorite subject to do it kind of is a loaded question but if you were to suggest like one way that people can make a positive difference on the biodiversity of their local habitats of like your prairie systems what would you suggest people should do
1: I love this question I feel like you know the answer (laughs) I, I mean I know like
0: a list of things that people can do but it's sure. always interesting okay. to hear yeah, yeah. like
1: the different people's
0: different perspectives of like this is a thing that in your local area you see as being really really important okay. and people always come up with such cool ideas too
1: yes my my answer to this is absolutely planting native in your yard Woo. Um, planting natives. yeah i so i did like I'll try and paraphrase this, but I, I did a series of endangered species, and one of them was the rusty patch bumblebee, and I kind of went on a hunt to find each species to take photos of to make paintings from, and I didn't think I was going to be able to find all of them. I did find the bee, and it was just in one man's backyard. I would like, called DNR and stuff, and and a bunch of researchers, and they all... Like it, it narrowed it down to you will be able to see it in this one man's backyard. And it was just in the middle of town, like nothing special. It was a very small yard, but it was absolutely packed full of flowering plants. That's and awesome. it was amazing. And yes, I saw like several of them. Um, so it really, I think even if you have a small space, it can make a huge difference making sure you know what plants are, you know going to benefit your area yeah those
0: that's super cool that's such a cool opportunity to see the the bumblebee as well because I know here in Pennsylvania that's also a listed uh endangered species yeah so I'm just like trying to imagine just like you got to see the sowet you got to see the rusty patch like that's so cool
1: yeah oh I cried oh <laughs> it's a little bit it teared pool. up it welled up of just yeah. like I mean it was beautiful it was yeah. amazing and he, he had been like you know keeping track of them like he had like a little journal of when they were coming by and yeah it's, I don't know it was very cool.
0: That is really cool and I guess that in and of itself too is just a huge encouragement of like if you plant it they will come sort of thing of like we need to be supplying all of these animals with their habitat. And it's cool to see, like, yes, this does make a difference. It's not just something scientists say, because
1: why not? Like, it does have an impact. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is,
0: that's fantastic. I love that you got to see them. They're still out there. Yay. They are. And they're very cute. They, oh my gosh. Little little fuzzy bee butts are always wonderful. And then to see that little band. I've only ever seen pictures of them because, again, we're supposed to have them here and we don't. Um, so that is really cool. So cool. Fuzzy. Love it. Awesome. So for what it's earth, each person who can increase the biodiversity in their own area by learning about the native plants that they can incorporate into yards, window planters, uh, patio boxes, even up to wide expanses of habitat. You're all going to be making the world, not just a greener place because you're attracting all this biodiversity, but think of all the beautiful color and scenery and experiences that you can have with it. And going back to what Kaelin was saying of this just much more um, reflective, time out with the natural world, you're gonna be making the world a much better place. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology and Kaylin Jade. Um, Kaylin, is there anything that you want to
1: plug or share before we, we say goodbye? You can um, find my artwork on my website. So that's name. so C-A-Y-L-I-N jayde.com um and there you can find my instagram and i have a tiktok and a, a um, shop where i sell my artwork online um i will be doing some festivals and booths this year i have two coming up in may one in cedar rapids on may 6th uh that's the iowa pop art show and um one in the Quad Cities Botanical Center, uh, at the end of May, like May 21st, but I will be posting like my full schedule when I get that. So.
0: Okay. Cool. Then I will share your website, um, in the podcast description as well. So people can just click on that to access it. Um, but that's very exciting. Thank you for that. Um, so if you all enjoyed this week's episode, please support review and continue to follow along um, again, the video version of this is going to be available up on Patreon, that's patreon.com backslash the art of ecology. I know Kim is also on Patreon, so I'm just going to plug her just because I like that too. I'm actually a patron of hers. She's got stickers, she's got the art behind the scenes, and it's just a good time. So lots of good stuff over on the Patreon. Um, But for more eco tips and inspiration, you can check out my blog at theartofecology.com. And I'm also on all the social medias. And with that, we will see you next time on For What It's Earth. Bye.